by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. I'm sorry showing up late to church this morning. I'm the pastor. I mean, y'all started church without me. I'm sorry. We were sitting in there praying. Clock showed like four minutes left. I went to the restroom. All the band was in there with me. And next thing I know, I come out and they're on the platform and everybody's waiting on me. You guys snuck off, didn't say, hey, hey, it's time or nothing. He said, I appreciate that, fellas. You just ran off and left me. But we made it. See, if you can't laugh about your mistakes, then you'll never want to make mistakes. And if you never make mistakes, you'll never learn how to succeed. Failure is part of succeeding, so let that be a, just a free lesson. That's not even part of the message today. I'm not even going to charge you for that. It's fun to laugh things off in church and have a good time. We can relax. You know, if we don't relax, if we're too rigid and too firm, we don't give the Holy Spirit any place to move. If we've got the plan and we're just going to stick to that, and we didn't give the Holy Spirit no place to move. We're gonna, we want to give the Holy Spirit place to move here. I didn't mean to be late, but... But it just happened that way, and so what? You know, we'll go with it. Let's pray. Man, I'm excited today. Can you tell? Lord, I just want to be where you are. I really want to be in heaven. But I know there's things to do down here. I know you've got an agenda, you've got purpose for each one of our lives. And so we want to be right where we need to be. We know there's coming a day of rest. We know there's coming a day we'll be with you, but it ain't today. We will live and declare your works here on this earth, and we will finish our race. We will run our course. We will hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant, because we are doers of the word of God. Father God, as we pray, I mean, as we preach today about marriages, the direction that we feel like you're leading us, I pray that the devil has no place in the marriages within this church. No place to come in and divide and, and to bring selfishness. But not only the devil, I pray that our own flesh would not be the enemy of our marriage. Today that each person would listen to this message for themselves, not for their spouse, but for themselves. And if they're not married, Father God, I know that you there's still plenty of meat on the bone here for them to learn. Lord, help me teach this. I'm more of a preacher than I'm a teacher. So, but help me teach this. Precept upon precept, line upon line. And let these, this seed get down into our hearts and let it produce a, a fruitful harvest in our marriages, in our families, because that's, that's the nucleus of what you've created, the family. So, Father God, we yield this time to you, Holy Spirit. Use me, use whoever you need to use here today. So that we can bring you glory on this earth. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're, uh, we'd like to welcome any first-time visitors we have here today. I hope you've been made to feel welcome all already because we love to have you. Um, we're in a series called the Family Survival Kit. And we've been talking about many things, and now we're moving over into the area of marriages. Um, today's message, if you're following along on your little bulletin, it's got blanks for you to fill out to help keep you awake during my sermon. <laughs> it's called Part 5, 10 Don'ts of Your I Do's. The 10 Don'ts of Your I Do's. Hebrews 13.3, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. We'll launch from there. Hebrews, way back in the back. Hebrews 13 and verse 3. If you're ready to have a good time, say amen. amen. <coughs> Hebrews 13.3 says, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. 
that what it says up there? Hebrews 13, 3, or did I get it backwards? No, that's remember those in prison. All right. I'm not saying that that, that was God. <laughs> okay, so my, my, my home text, can you look it up on the Internet, somebody, on Google, and see where it says, give honor to marriage? Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're not in prison. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I hope your marriage is not a prison. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God's got a sense of humor. What does it mean, give honor to marriage? Esteem it highly. It should be a big deal. More bigger deal than we make it here in America. Marriage should be a big deal. Give honor to the institution of marriage because it was instituted by God. And remain faithful to one another. Your partner, your spouse, right? Well, how do you do that? Well, the, the best place I could think of to start was to remain faithful to the vows that you made when you got married. Amen? Cody, I'm picking on y'all's family. Cody, Heather, y'all come up here. All right. Cody, stand over here. Stand over here. We're going to give him an example. Okay. So. Basic wedding vows. Cody, do you take Heather? I see a second look in her eyes. She's second guessing her decision. No. Do you take Heather to be your wedded wife? Do you promise, now I want you to listen to these, to love her, to comfort her, to honor and keep her for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health and forsaking all others. Be faithful only to her for as long as you both shall live. And you say, I do. I do. <laughs> and so it wouldn't end there, would it? I would turn to you and ask you the same questions. And you would say, I do. All right. Well, y'all, I pronounce y'all man and wife. Go sit down. <laughs> Give them a big round of applause. <clears throat> you start... With your marriage vows, do you remember the things you vowed to one another before God? I didn't know. <laughs> the things that I'm going to preach today, I had no clue of before I got married. And a lot of them I still don't have much of a clue. <laughs> I'm dependent on God, okay? But before I got married, me and, well, when we got married, me and Angie rented this little rent-a-preacher thing, I guess. He was a guy that married people, and we had rented this little chapel and all, and I remember him sitting with us and trying to talk some sense into us, you know, okay, here's the way the vows are typically, and, and I was like a control guy back then, you know, I was a type A personality, thought I knew everything, and this was before I was saved, you know, so God hadn't had it much of a chance to deal with me at all, <laughs> so, so I said, preacher man, just hold up right there, we don't want a bunch of that fluffy talk. Let's just get to the I do's, all right? I'll be honest, I wasn't interested in all the proceedings. I was interested in getting to the honeymoon. <laughs> I was like, let's not do a whole lot of talk, okay? Just say, do I do, and I'll say I do, <laughs> you know, and tell her, and let's get this thing on. <laughs> even, even when we had the night before, when we had the rehearsal of how everybody was going to come down and everything, the guy was taking so long, I was like, this ain't going to work, preacher man. Hold up. Girls, br bridesmaids, whatever y'all, y'all just scoot on down. And I started giving directions. I became my own wedding coordinator. I am I telling the truth, Angie? <laughs> Why? Because I was ready to get to the honeymoon. <laughs> man, I got dressed that morning or that afternoon before we got married. I put on that tuxedo. Never had a tuxedo on before, you know. And there was this thing that they called a cummerbund. I didn't know what it was. You're supposed to wrap it around your waist. Well, I wrapped it around. 
I said, this thing kind of looks stupid, but I guess everybody else is wearing theirs. I didn't know you were supposed to tighten it up. Mine was sitting out like this, like it made me look like I had a beer belly. <laughs> if you look at any of my wedding pictures, and I'll show them to you if you want to see them, it looks like I had a big beer belly sitting there because my cummerbund was sitting out like this. <laughs> nobody, and none of my people told me. That, I guess nobody figured they could tell me anything, huh? <laughs> it got worse after we said our dues. We, uh, we went to this little place we had reserved to have our reception. I was just ready to get out of there. Angie had all her friends there, all her family, and, and she's a social creature, you know. She was just, she was so on fire. She, she was loving the reception more than the marriage so far, I think. And so my brother had a jam box that I had told him to bring with him, and I had made a little CD of, of our song, and they had told me that I was supposed to, you know, dance with her. And so I was like, all right, let's hurry up and eat the cake. And I was leading us through all the stuff trying to get it done. And finally, I said, hey, listen up, everybody. Me and Angie are going to do our dance. We've been loving each other for a long time. This song kind of explains it all. Listen up. Hit it, Heath. <laughs> we started dancing. I mean, that's about how it went. I, I didn't take my time. I was just in a hurry trying to get through this thing. So we're dancing to this slow song, and I'm probably fast dancing to it. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I look back and say, what, who is this guy? But I was trying to convince Angie, okay, we've been here long enough. Let's go. Let's go to the honeymoon. She said, she said, but I, I like being here. I said, I don't care. I said, they got to throw the rice. I was trying to think of a justification. They got to throw the rice at us. Come on, let's go out the front door. She said, and this is no lie. She said, okay, I'll go out, but I'm coming back around the backside. <laughs> and she did. They threw the rice at us, and then she ran around and came back in the back. And I was like, so I finally just gave in. And then came the honeymoon. Guess what happened on the honeymoon? I'll tell you later. <laughs> but marriage is not just a contract that you can wiggle your way out of. It's not just based on a, a handshake, is it? Marriage is a covenant. Your I do's were a vow made before God. Those things that you said I do to, they were made as a covenant before God. Which becomes, when it's consummated, it's supposed to be a blood covenant. And a covenant is an eternal commitment with God. You may negotiate out of contracts, but you're not going to negotiate your way out of a covenant. It's lifelong. I understood these things about as much as I understood how to work my cummerbund. <laughs> Today, I'm leaning heavily on an article written by a man named David Willis. He said there's 12 habits that lead to div 12 habits that lead to I've been trained not to say that word. That would be a wise decision for you to make, too. That's not a word you should use. Anyway, he's got 12 habits that lead in that direction. I, I pared them down to 10, and uh, I'm going to call them the 10 foxes in the hen house. We're not going to get to all of them today, but we'll try to get to at least half of them today, and then we'll finish the message up next week. But these are things... I said, this guy's right on target. These are, these are things that I see happening in our church, in the marriages, in our church family. I see it happening to friends and stuff. I'll be honest. You expect things to happen in marriages that are new marriages. You know, first year, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't know a man. I, I didn't know anything about him, or I didn't know anything about her until we actually lived together. You expect things to happen there but some of these things are I see happening in marriages that's been together 15 20 years now 25 30 years and we're putting our marriages on autopilot and I don't care how long you've been together and how much you say you love each other and how much you love each other in your past marriages don't fly on autopilot are you listening that may be the main thing you need to leave with here today your marriage will not fly on autopilot. 
All right, so the first fox in the hen house, changing each other. <laughs> Many people go into marriage with the idea, well, he, he's not perfect, but by the time I get through with him, he will be. They go into marriage thinking, I'm going to change him after we get married. Or, or getting married will change him. Or getting married will make her different, right? The idea that you can change somebody, if that's your hope, then you better get ready for a life of frustration. Because we can't really change people. We can only love people. Are you listening? That's on your sheet if you want to fill in that little blank. We don't... We can't, we can't, there's no guarantee that we can change anybody, at least that I've seen. Some people go into marriage with this hope, don't. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now there's some common wisdom. There's some good wisdom right there. Don't marry somebody that's not a believer in Jesus Christ, thinking that they may change. Guess what? The odds are they'll change for the worse. Why did Jesus tell you not to marry somebody that's not an unbeliever? Because he's smart. <laughs> he's smart. Do you know when you marry somebody that's not an unbeliever, Huh? That's not an unbeliever? That would be a believer, wouldn't it? I'm sorry. When you marry somebody that's an unbeliever, you're marrying somebody that can't give you God's kind of love. Do you remember before you were a believer how selfish you were and how when God's love came in, it, it changed you and it gave you the capacity to have compassion on others, to care about others' plight, to want to to be there for other people, how that love resurrected your heart. Now, and you're telling me that you want to marry somebody that, that was like the old you that doesn't have God's kind of love? You're telling me that you want to risk marrying somebody who might not, not want to raise your children to know Jesus? You don't have to be a pastor and have to been around very long to see what tangled webs we weave by our decisions and the things that people's lives have been through and go through. If you're single, the first question you need to ask yourself before you even think about even going on a date, even letting them write you a note in class, if, if it's an unbeliever, ball that thing up and throw it in the garbage. Don't get emotionally tied to an unbeliever. Do not be unequally yoked. That's just wisdom for a Christian. You want somebody with the love of God that, that can love you and have the same goals. You see, man was created and woman was created to be his helpmeet. And the, we, were, we have destiny. We have a place to be, things to do in the kingdom of God. And if you marry somebody that doesn't even believe in the kingdom of God, they're not going to help you get there. I'm just saying. Now, there is somebody you can change in marriage. That's you, right? You're the, the one that you see in the mirror is the one you're likely to be able to change. And in marriage, two become one, so in a way you're changing them. And, and when you change yourself, maybe you'll become the person that they're willing to change for. But you can't nag them into changing. You can't make them. You can't force them. God didn't even force us to do anything. And so don't go into marriage thinking you can change somebody. If you're in marriage and, you're, and that's where you're at and you're hoping that they'll change, change yourself and pray for God to have mercy. <laughs> now, if you're both serving the Lord the way it's supposed to be, both of your eyes are on Jesus. You're trying to do the right thing. There's a fine chance that you'll both continue to change for the better, and then your marriage will soar. And that's how you see around here so many great marriages in this church, people who are serving the Lord together. Amen? So the first thing, the first, first fox in the hen house, don't be trying to change one another. 
And don't go into marriage with that hope. Find somebody on the front end that don't need much change. Second, going into marriage or being in marriage and still having an exit strategy. Well, that wouldn't happen in our church, Pastor. Keeping the D word an option. When I was... Before I was born again, when I got married, you know, that was just the way it was. If it doesn't work out, well, you know, we could always get the, <laughs> you know. But Christians shouldn't, that shouldn't, like I said, never be in our vocabulary. Don't keep it as an option. Don't do it. Don't ever say it. Don't imply it. And certainly don't use it as a weapon against one another, especially you men. Do you know, men, that it's your job to make your wife feel secure? And if every time you get in an argument, you go throwing the D word out, threatening her, you're just crushing everything that you're supposed to be as a man. You're supposed to protect your wife from those kind of thoughts, from that kind of concern, that kind of worry. Really, that's our job as spouses to, towards one another, men and women, to take the worry off of each other. We're supposed to come together and and when she hurts, I hurt, and vice versa. Your wife looks to you for security. So close that door as a possibility. Stop imagining that the grass is greener on the other side. And learn to mow your own lawn, okay? <laughs> Take care of your own grass. It'll look greener. So many things today in the society in which we live, everything's disposable, even TVs and Cell phones and high-dollar electronic stuff is disposable. When you get through with it, it don't work anymore. You don't get it fixed. You throw it away. But spouses are not one of them in that category. They are not disposable. There was a, I heard the story. I don't know if I tell it right, but there was a men's conference and, or a conference, a Christian conference of some sort, and there was these men all standing around talking. And uh, one of them asked one of the guys, he said, which one's your wife? And, he pointed out, she's the dark-headed, uh, she's the ugly one over there. He thought it was funny, you know, and a couple other guys kind of gave a nervous chuckle, but they didn't want to really laugh at that. But one of the older Christians in the group said, young man, why would you say that? If she is ugly, you made her ugly. And there's a lot of truth in that. We want our wives to be beautiful, but we talk down to them. We call them ugly. We do these things. And they begin to live down to our expectations. We don't take the worry and the stress off of their life. We don't make their dreams come true. We make their life just going through the motions. See, marriage is supposed to be a beautiful thing. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. It is our job, men to take care of our wives and, and to take that stress off. If they've got wrinkles and, and have turned old and before their time, you've got to take some responsibility for that. We've got that rental car mentality. You ever have a rental car and you, you're not paying a note on this? You don't have to do the upkeep. You don't have to take it to the garage. You ain't worried about giving it an oil change. You lay it down, slam on the brakes. You don't care and... You're not taking care of it because why it's not really yours. You're going to turn it back in. And that's the way many people treat their marriage. We need to treat our marriage like we own this car. We need to keep, have good upkeep on our car, good maintenance, like we're going to keep it forever. That's the way a marriage should be. Treat your wife like you plan to keep her, and she'll stay a keeper. That's on your sheet there. Treat your wife like you plan to keep her, and she'll stay a keeper. Same could be said about the husband. Just in case you didn't know, the, the Bible says the women long for that security, but the men, they long for respect. So women, respect your husbands. Even if they don't really deserve, find reasons to respect them and set Set their expectations. You know what? Most men will lay down on a grenade for you if you'll just give them one compliment. They're all just little boys. 
wanting some sense of respect and honor. They want somebody to say something good about them. Watch me, watch me, you know, and that's the 50-year-olds. <laughs> right? And yeah, yeah, honey, yeah, honey, and you're watching the kids. Why don't you stop and say, oh, that was good, honey. That, I liked how you did that. Idiot. You know? <laughs> but, but don't let him hear the idiot part. No, I'm just kidding. But really, man, he would, he would fall on a grenade for you if he knew that you care. I mean, women, you don't understand how much authority you wield just with your mouth if you were to appreciate the things your husbands did. A long time ago, my wife, you know, complimented me on taking an ashtray out or something. And ever since then, I've been doing all the housework. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Matthew 19, verse 4. Jesus says, have you read the scriptures? Boy, there's a sermon in that. <laughs> oh. That might be where we go next. Have you read the scriptures? They record from the beginning that God made them male and female. <clears throat> and he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. There's another issue we're not going to talk about today, but, but men and women, you have to leave your mother and father. Now you have a new family. You can't let your old family control your new family. And the two are united into one. The two flesh become one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. That means nobody outside your marriage, not your old friends, not your mama, not, not your daddy, not the devil, and don't you do it. Don't let anybody pull apart what God has joined together. You have melded together. You have fused together in the spirit, okay? Now I know... Anytime you start preaching on divorce, you're going to have a church full of people who's had divorces. We're not talking about the past, okay? Once something's under the blood, it's under the blood. We're just talking moving forward, okay? So don't anybody get down on themselves about things in the past. I mean, if we wanted to do that, we could all sit here and moan and whine all day long, right? About things we've done in the past. But we do teach about how to do things in the future, all right? So the first thing was what? Anybody taking notes? Don't change each other. Thank you. I can always count on Dorinda. And second, don't have an exit strategy. Third, Dorinda, are you in the spirit? <laughs> don't divide everything into his and hers. Well, when you get married, <laughs> he says it's all hers anyway. <laughs> There you go. Now you're thinking. You got separate bank accounts, separate hobbies, separate dreams, separate friends, everything separate. Why did you even get married? If, if you're just going to live together as roommates and have different lives. See, getting married, is, that's all part of it, is coming together and becoming one. Now, I'm not saying... That if, if you have decided and God has spoken to your family that y'all can't have separate bank accounts. I'm not being extreme here. I'm just saying, but, on, but overall, are you coming together? How could separation possibly bring you closer together? I mean, that's just common sense. And separation like this only leads to jealousy, competition, and suspicion. Well, I wonder how much money they got in their account. You know, well, he's, he's always hanging out with his friends. I got my friends. He's got his friends. I wonder if they're going nightclubbing. I don't wonder, wonder if there's, you know, what are they doing? No, marriage is about a coming together. Separation is the, the enemy of marriage, not the friend. So wherever you see yourself separated, you need to look at that and say, that's an area we need to work on, honey. Men, you need to come together. Maybe there's something coming to your mind right now. You know, some area of your life. Well, you know, I do this and she does her thing there. Is there a way that you could bring those two together? Just a thought, you know. And sometimes it's a compromise. Well, all the time it's a compromise. You, well, I'm going to give it this up so that I can spend time with her here. 
And so that's the way coming together is the way to go. Prenups, you know, before marriage may be all the rage in the world, but contracts have no place in covenant. Right? We've made a covenant, not just a contract. It's not just based on a handshake. If you can't trust them before you marry them, don't marry them. Really. Now, I know I'm talking to a lot of people that are already married and can't go back and change some of the things, but I am talking to some that ain't married yet. And if you got somebody you can't trust, don't marry them. It's, when you're talking about a lifelong commitment, you're talking about making a good decision, really thinking this thing through. Don't let your emotions carry you into something that you're going to regret the rest of your life. You need to find the right one. I'm not saying there's just one right person. You know, they say, they say God's got the right one person for everybody. I don't believe that because I've seen too many people, you know, their spouse dies and then they find the other right person, you know. I, I believe anybody can be the right person if it's the right person, if that makes any sense. Matt, uh, Mark 3.25 says, If a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. So if you got too much division in your household, you know, I'm going to be with my family on Thanksgiving. He's going to be with his family on Thanksgiving. You know, maybe you need to say, let's go to my family this year and we'll go to your family next year. You know, make some compromises and, and alleviate the divisions. Don't miss the whole point of two becoming one. You're no longer an individual, but you're a couple may be hard at first to do some of these things because it's the way you've always done it. You know, especially when you get married later in life, you're settled in your ways and nobody's willing to give up anything and, and there you go, you know. But if you'll make the hard decisions and give in where you have to and, and talk it out is the main thing, then guess what? It'll be a labor that leads to love and the kind of marriage that you really want. Jesus insists on being one with us, doesn't he? You see, Jesus says marriage, is, the whole thing is just a picture of Jesus and the bride of Christ, which is the church. Marriage was to give us an example of how much Jesus loves us and vice versa. Jesus was willing to give his life for the church. And he wants to be one with the church. He's not just domineering the church. He's working with us. He left us down here with purpose and cause. He, he listens to our prayers. He acts according to our faith. He, we work with Jesus to bring in the harvest. We're part of, we get to play in God's sandbox. And he takes what we do seriously. Right? So he's invested in, in the couple that we are with him. If that makes any sense at all. I don't know. If I'm making any sense, somebody say amen. Was that a sympathy amen or did you? I told you I might not be the one to preach this, but I'm trying to give you some points that I feel like that God would share with you. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing it, but I know we got to do something. I know we got to do something to strengthen our marriages in these days in which we live because they won't just fly on autopilot. So the fourth thing we're going to talk about is having a boss mentality. Whether it's the woman or the man that goes into the marriage, I'm going to be the boss of this thing here. <laughs> right? I'm smarter than they are. I'm bigger than they are. <laughs> Whatever your thing is, I'm going to be the boss. You know, they're not going to tell me what to do. My friends told me they're not going to tell me what to do. <laughs> you know, men be like, I wear the pants in this family. <laughs> Ain't that right, honey? You know, I remember one time I bought a boat without asking Angie. That's where I got that scar right there. That's an old Billy Metcalf joke. <laughs> Men, you ain't so scary. So back off your big talk and brush up on your Bible knowledge. I know the only scripture that you probably know is Ephesians 5.22, which says, Wives, submit to your husbands. But did you know Ephesians 5.21? Go back one. Says submitting yourselves to one another. 
Amen? Marriage is a partnership. It's not a dictatorship. Never will work that way. It's a partnership. Women was given to complete man. Because man was lacking. If man had everything he needed, didn't need the woman's advice, God would have never gave him a woman in the first place. You needed her. And she needs you. And in some marriages, it's the woman who wants to rule the roost. That's just as dumb. <laughs> that's just as wrong. In fact, that's part of the curse. It was in Genesis 3.16, I believe it was, that Eve's curse for eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, her curse was that she would want to rule over her husband, right? That's part of the curse. Women, you should not want to rule over your husband. Let's go back to that submitting to one another, okay? There is a time, yes, the man is the, the head of the house, or not the house, but the head of the household. And, you know, if it comes down to where communications can't break through, then somebody has to make a decision. God has ordered the man to make the decision. But men, you are just flat stupid if you think you can make all decisions by yourself and get to where God needs you to get because he gave you that wife to help you get there. So... Women don't desire to control over your husband and men don't desire to, to force some kind of twisted Bible verse on your wife and, and twist it into something it didn't mean. Marriage is a partnership, not a dictatorship. Smart couples communicate and they pray before making important decisions. I'm sure we could do a whole series on communication. It is my understanding that almost every problem that we have in marriage, almost every problem that we have in the church, almost every problem that we have at our jobs, almost every problem that we have could be solved by a little communication. Talk it out. Not text. Oh, what did they mean by that? You don't know. You're just looking at some words. Talk it out. Get face to face. Look in their eyes. And then if you have to beat on each other for a minute, no. But, but look at each other in the eye and, and communicate. And then you can work things out. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. That's the way a marriage should be. And then it goes on to say, Three is even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. It's not talking about some swinger marriage with a third wheel in there somewhere. He's talking about God being in the center of your marriage in case you wasn't getting what God's getting at. <laughs> hey, we got a strong marriage, me and my wife and my girlfriend, you know. <laughs> no, that's not what it's talking about. It's you and your wife with God being in the center. And that can become unstoppable. Like I said, two people following the Lord is awesome. Two people following the Lord together is unstoppable. I, I just thought about this. It's not in my notes, but what about the, where it says that your prayers won't even be answered if, if you've been treating your wife wrong? There is power in agreement in a marriage. Communication, putting God first. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I'm just telling you there, that's what we need to get back to and get off autopilot. All right, so we're going to probably have time for one more, and then we're going to take communion today. So the fourth thing, the fourth fox in the hen house we just discussed is having a boss mentality. I'm going to, I'm going to be the boss of this here house. The fifth thing is keeping score. Are you a scorekeeper? Marriage should not need a scoreboard. Oh, got you good on that one. Ding, ding, you know. And you're keeping track of every mistake they've ever made. Marriage is not a competition. There was enough of competition in the dating world, okay? Once you left the dating world, the competition should stop. You were fighting for her back then. Now you're fighting against her. Don't make any sense. 
No competition in your marriage. Keeping score will eventually lead to at least one party feeling defeated and wanting to throw in the towel. You know, somebody's going to be mentally stronger. Maybe it's better, better to argue better than the other person. They're going to win all the arguments, whether they're right or not, just because they can shout louder or they're, you know, more forceful. But what's going to happen? Is that going to help your marriage in any way that you win all the arguments? It's just going to beat that person down to the point where they're not going to argue with you anymore. In fact, they're not even going to talk to you anymore. In fact, I'm just not even going to go home. My wife, she's just going to holler at me about this. Or my husband, he's going to be mad at me for this. That brings division, keeping score. Thankfully, God doesn't keep score against us. <laughs> None of us would be able to come into this church building today if God kept score against us. We would be so hanging our heads so defeated. A lot of people in marriage, they insist on being like a, this emotional bag lady or this bag man that's just pushing around this old shopping cart full of past hurts, things you said. Yeah, but you called me fat. Honey, that was 20 years ago, you know? <laughs> and scorekeepers, if you're a scorekeeper, you probably, you never let anything go, and you always bring stuff back up from junior high and stuff, <laughs> Right? Scorekeepers usually go way back so that they can tilt the score in their... Before you got married, here's another before you get married thing. Make sure that you start with a clean slate. Go ahead and get all that out on the table. If he dated your best friend back in junior high, forgive him or, or find another man. But don't drag it into your marriage. Marriage is hard enough without dragging around a bunch of hurts from the past. It's, hard. it's going to be hard work keeping a marriage together without dragging around the past. So settle it before you get married. Start marriage with a clean slate and then end marriage. What it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Get it right every day. Keep a clean slate. Are you holding on, harboring hurt from what he said last week? What about forgive others as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you? Can't we, can't we extend that same kind of mercy to our own spouse, the one we're supposed to love more than anybody? That's good preaching. You know, Jesus keeps a clean slate with us. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad for 1 John 1, 9? That if you confess your sins, God's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and give you a clean slate. It allows you to get up in the morning. But what if your spouse is not giving you that clean slate? They got a big old scoreboard over the bed. And they're getting riled up about it every time they see the scoreboard and you're getting beat down every time you see the scoreboard. Marriage is not a competition. Well, you want to make marriage a competition? Why don't you keep track of how many of her dreams you're making come true? Or how many of his dreams you're making come true? If you want to compete about some, see who can bless each other the most. You know, my wife has a pool. I don't care nothing about a pool. I didn't want a pool. But I knew deep down in her heart she had always wanted a pool. I found a way to get her a pool. She's got a Mustang. I don't like Fords. Doesn't matter. My job as her husband is to make her dreams come true. If I don't do anything right, I'm trying to make her dreams come true. I think we'll answer for how we treated our spouses and how we made their dreams come true or how we just made their life a nightmare. <laughs> Start making your spouse's dreams come true and, and see if they don't begin to make yours come true. That's how it's supposed to work. You do for them. You spend yourself on them. And, and then your blessing comes back from them. 
you invest. You know, divorce is 50-50. When you get a divorce, I want my half. If you're a reasonable person, you might say, I want it all, you know. But divorce is 50-50. But marriage is 100-100. You give all to them. They give all to you. It's not like I'll do half if you'll do half. Marriage is given everything that you have. Contracts may be 50-50, but covenant is 100-100. Contracts maybe say, you're mine, but covenant says, I am yours. Contracts say, what can you do for me? Covenant says, what can I do for you, honey? Contracts say, I'll meet you halfway, but a covenant says, everything I have is already yours. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure and he receives favor of the Lord. Turn to Malachi 2.14 and we'll close. Right before Matthew. Malachi says in verse 14, chapter 2, You cry out, Why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you've been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife. In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. You see, our marriages, the best thing that you can do for your children other than point them to Jesus is to show them how God's idea of marriage is. It's the best thing you can do for your children, to show uh, your young son how to treat his wife, to show your daughter how a woman's to love her husband. The best thing you can do for society is to set an example in your marriage. That's what's wrong with our country today. The family has fallen apart. And we've taken marriage and made it a contract and not a covenant. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. Value your marriage. Hebrews 13.4 says, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. So, I rushed my way through the ideas. I rushed my way through the reception. And then we went off to the honeymoon. And I love y'all, but I'm not going to tell you what happened on the honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to say, That honeymoon is just for a season. It's just a small part of your marriage. When you get married, man, hormones are going crazy. When you're young and you fall in love, and it's, you've, you've got that love and feeling. You know what I'm saying? That's great. That's great, but it doesn't last. It lasts about as long as the honeymoon. And then the rest of it, you have to work for. You have to dig deep and find a love greater than that in love feeling. You have, to, you have to find a love that's full of commitment, a love that's from the Lord, a love that's everlasting. While I couldn't wait to get to the honeymoon, I've been married 23 years now. That love and feeling left that first year or so. I didn't mean it like that, baby. But I love her more now 
than I thought it was ever possible. Love is a commitment. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Even though I don't say it very well, and then I'll be in a doghouse. <laughs> honeymoon is a short season. And you know what? The honeymoon in your Christianity is a short season. When you got saved, man, you were a new Christian, new creation in Christ Jesus. You were so on fire for the Lord. And many of you were do, would do anything. You would die for Jesus. You were doing everything the church asked you to do. And then somewhere along the line, weeks went by, months went by, and you began to lose that loving feeling. And you began to go back to some things that you ought not go back to. And you begin to let your flesh take over. And that happens in the church, the way we treat Jesus, and it happens in marriages. But guess what? People of God know better. People of God fight for what they love. Fight for who they love. You've got to fight for Jesus in your Christianity every day. You've got to stir up that love within you. You've got to stir up the things of God. You've got to bring to remembrance that first love. How, how he died on the cross for you, how about? How about how you used to love her when you said those I do's? Why don't you begin to fight for your wife? Fight for your husband again. Fight for your relationship with Jesus. Because there's an enemy, the devil. There's an enemy, your flesh. There's an enemy that's trying to seek to destroy those relationships that are the most fragile and the most important things in our life. And you have to fight for them. It don't work on autopilot. So stir yourselves up. Stir yourselves up again in the things of God. As you continue to grow in Christ, you'll grow in your capacity to love your spouse, to create a beautiful, godly, and lasting marriage. We'll finish this, these, the next five up next Sunday. It'll get better from here. This was just the preliminaries. If, if you're married and you got kids sleeping in your bed, then you don't want to miss next Sunday. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.